continue really where we've left off in terms of worship. Um, I thought that uh, encouragement from Abby in respect to uh, allowing God to just lift our kind of heads, uh, so giving us the heads up uh, in order that he would give us the head up of kind of what he's involved in, uh, is actually what I want to look at this morning. Is I want to look, um, as we continue this series we're in in Ephesians, of kind of perspective that I want us to leave with, I'm hoping by this morning, end of this this kind of session together, that changes how we see who we are and what we're involved in, in our everyday life. That's that's the goal for me. And I hope that within all of my weakness of communicating that, that ultimately we can get hold of that. Because I believe that God really wants us to get hold of a different perspective, which I promise you, if we can get hold of, transforms everything. And I've grandly therefore called this morning's talk, or this afternoon's talk, Crafted for Cosmic Purpose. Now at this point, we could then be thinking, well, Adrian again is kind of getting a little bit overexcited and um, kind of is pushing out beyond maybe what we should be expecting in this room. Uh, could look at the size of us and think, well, man, really cosmic in terms of the universe? Uh, purpose for the whole of the universe? Really here? Or maybe we look at our own circumstances and we think, well, you only have to understand that at the moment I'm basically just keeping it together. And you're saying, no, no, I want to kind of pull us into a perspective to say, even in our keeping it together, that actually has a cosmic purpose. And that's exactly what I want us to do this morning. I want us to see that actually, just so we know, I'm going to keep referring to this morning when it is actually this afternoon. We know that we can just keep changing it when I say it. But I want us to get hold of the fact that actually in our lives... We are now, if we're starting to follow Jesus, got a purpose that has an impact, a purpose set in it that is changing uh, the universe that we're part of. And that sometimes is so important to get hold of when we're just hitting life issues and that we don't get our heads pulled in, but rather our heads lifted up in order that we can really see what the king's about, who's Jesus. So with that in mind, I want us to jump straight into Ephesians 4. We're going to read Ephesians 4, uh, 7 to 13. I'm going to read it two ways. We, I'm going to first of all read it in a way that it can be read, which is wrong. And then I'm going to read it in the way that I think Paul wrote it, if that's okay. And so we'll read it in the wrong way. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attains the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. See, this passage can often be read in a way that seems to be this crescendo to these top tree five at the middle, and then it kind of decreases in volume from that point on. And that's not what Paul was doing through this passage, which is what I want us to get hold of this morning. Rather, let's read it how Paul wrote it. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself 
gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Do you detect a slight difference in one way and the other way? You see, what's happening in this section is Paul is moving from a moment that Richard expounded last week, which is in a phenomenal way, of showing us that we are unified through a oneness. A oneness in this Trinity God who is one, three and one. A oneness within who we are all built around him. And he now kind of takes this moment of showing the one as unity to flip it and say, but within our unity isn't conformity. It isn't that we are all the same. It's rather that to each one of us, we're different. We're diverse. And it's this what Paul wants us to get hold of. That actually in this unified body of Christ... We're all different. And he wants us to get hold of that difference because as we explore that difference, we get to understand that we're part of a cosmic purpose. And to do that, I want to quickly look at four. It probably won't be that quick. I don't want to lie to you. Let's have integrity this morning. We're going to take some time to look over four things as we examine this passage. I want to look at purpose, the purpose of why Paul is writing this, the purpose of why Jesus then causes each of us to be different that gives us this grace, this gift to be different. I want to look at the nature of what Jesus is doing in and through us. I want to look at how we enjoy it. And then lastly, we'll look at why we do it together. So that's where we're going to go. So let's start off with purpose. Paul writes this in terms of purpose. It says, verse 8, this is why. It makes it pretty obvious. It makes my job very easy. He says, why has Jesus given us this diverse way of living? Why is there diversity in who we are? Why has he given us his grace in different measures? To each one of us, he says, well, this is why. When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthy regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. Now, the thing is, we can skip through this and think, well, what on earth is going on here? What Paul is doing is he's painting two scenes. And he paints two scenes, if you like, or constructs two scenes on a stage in order that he can use those two scenes to point to another place which he's going to put the spotlight on to reveal the purpose of what Jesus is wanting to do in and through every single one of us. As the first scene is this scene over here where he paints this picture in verse 7, if we go back one slide, um, of where he talks about when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. You see, what the scene is that... Paul is painting here is one of a victorious king and he's quoting Psalm 68 verse 18 which is this psalm kind of pointing towards God as a victorious king and it's a victorious king as in the ancient days a king who's led his nation into a great victory and it's them this king then returning back to like their capital city. That's what's being referred to, although we'll come on to what it says in the psalm in a moment. And it's this king who's coming back to their capital city. And as they came back, they would have paraded, this mass parade of in front, presenting all of the kind of plunder they'd got through their great victory. A plunder that they'd got to enjoy with themselves, but also were looking to share with others. But also behind them would be their defeated forces. The defeated forces, they kind of, their enemy that they defeated were behind them. So there's this big parade going on. 
And this psalm is, is kind of likening what happened in ancient times with kings to what's happening with God. And so it talks and says, well, God is one who's had this great victory in rescuing his people. And rather than ascending um, the capital city in this great parade with enemy behind, plunder in front, actually it's God who doesn't have a capital city but this holy mountain that he's going up. And Paul takes that psalm and says, actually, where we've looked and seen that God is victorious, actually this is what we see in Jesus through his life, death, and resurrection. He is one who is a victorious king. And as such, he's one who stands in victory, who behind him are his enemy defeated. So much so, so you get Paul in Colossians 2, who then speaks of actually, uh, through the cross and resurrection, the devil and all of his minions have been humiliated, have become a spectacle through what Jesus has accomplished. And Paul's kind of writing in this saying, saying this is victorious king who's Jesus. This is the scene. His enemy, the devil, and all of his cronies behind him. But in his hands are all of his plunder of his victory. And it's from that plunder of his victory that he then gives to each of us. He gives out of the place of victory. So that's the first scene. The second scene is one of descending and ascending. Saying that Jesus is one who descended, and he's also one who ascended. Now, the whole aspect of it saying he descended to the lower earthly regions, there's been kind of this wrong way of, I think, interpreting this. So you find this, want to link it with 1 Peter 3, which is this weird passage, which we're not going to go into at all today, which is about Jesus kind of going down to the depths and preaching to those that are in hell. And you think, what on earth is going on there? We're not going to touch that because that's not what this passage is about. There's nothing to point to that at this point in time. Rather, what's a better lens to look at this one is Philippians 2. Philippians 2, which is where Paul pens and speaks of how Jesus, though he was equal to God, didn't consider his equality anything to be grasped, but rather humbled himself, becoming like a human incarnation, God and man, being like a servant and being obedient to even death, death on a cross. And that's what Paul's talking about here. He's talking about Jesus' descent to earth in his incarnation and then his humiliation in death on a cross. But like Philippians 2, he's then flipping it, saying, well, this Jesus who came to earth, who descended, he's also one who ascended. He's one who, as, it write, as Paul writes in Philippians 2, was one who was then raised to be sat at the right hand of the Father that every knee will bow before one day. Paul writes and says, well, this is this Jesus, the one who now did descend, but now has ascended. And he has these two images of this risen victorious king, of this ascended Jesus who came and lowered himself to live on the earth, to die on a cross, but then was risen to become one who's above all. And Paul kind of gets carried away and uses that phrase and says, um, higher than all the heavens. One of those phrases you think, what? All the heavens? Kind of throwing us back to two Corinthians saying, oh yeah, there's the second, the third heaven, the seventh heaven. And I think the third is kind of thing. There's this realm of God and the spiritual that is beyond our kind of comprehension. And we can think, oh yeah, there's God. There's God's place, which is heaven. That's where God dwells. Paul every so often throws things in to blow with your mind to say, oh no, there's these different realms of spirituality. But you need to know, don't get freaked out because Jesus is above all of them. And it's in that place of painting these two vivid pictures, these two vivid scenes that then Paul kind of draws the spotlight on the center and says, actually, through this, what we discover 
is why Jesus now gives his grace and gifts to each of us. Because what he's about now as this victorious king sharing his plunder, as this one who's risen a seat at the Father above all, is what? Filling the whole universe. That's what he's about as his risen king. He's filling the whole universe. You see, you don't have to look through the letter of Paul in Ephesians to see this has been a common theme. So if we go to the next slide, we find Ephesians 1.10, saying that God to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. It's been this theme of saying, what's the point of Jesus? Oh, it's to bring unity to everything on earth and in heaven, the dwelling of God. Everything finds unity in Jesus. 123, the fullness of Jesus who fills everything in every way. That Jesus' goal is to fill everything. Now that word everything is that. It doesn't have to get any more complicated. It's literally everything. The whole of the universe. So, so it does get to 4.9. And he does say, Paul writes, he says, what's Jesus' goal? Fill the universe. That's his goal. Now in it, we can then think, well, what? With kind of a semi-physical presence? And that's not what Paul's talking of here. He's pointing and saying, no, Jesus' way of filling the universe is as this risen king, as this ascended one, is with his rule and reign. Because he's a king, with a kingdom. He wants to fill the universe with his kingdom, with his rule and reign. Which transforms us. Why? Because the reason he gives gifts grace to each of us, the reason why we get wired differently, the reason why what we do is different in our day-to-day existence is in order that we then become part of this great purpose of Jesus to fill the whole universe with his rule and reign. Peter O'Brien, who's written this incredibly um, excellent commentary on Ephesians, writes this, he says about Jesus, having achieved dominion over all the powers through his victorious ascent, he sovereignly distributes gifts to the members of his body. You see, the building of the body, that's the church, is inextricably linked with his intention of filling the universe with his rule. Since the church is his instrument in carrying out his purpose is for the cosmos, I would encourage you, so I'll email this out to everyone. Get that quote, stick it on your front door, on the inside, not the outside. If you put it on the outside, it would just look weird to people visiting your house. On the inside, you read it as you leave your house to understand why you're on this planet. Why you're on this planet as a follower of Jesus is you are now being used by the king to bring about his rule and reign, his kingdom, in and through everything. Your job here isn't just to survive your day-to-day existence. Your job here isn't just to think my life is just chaotic, it's just spiraling out of control. No, no. You get to see this and say, oh no, why I'm here, even when it feels like stuff is spiraling out of control, is because I'm here in this moment to reveal God's rule and reign is being worked out through the cosmos, the universe. As I enter my street, I'm not entering thinking, who am I? I'm entering thinking, I know the king. I know what he's seeking to do. He's seeking to fill this whole planet, this whole universe with his rule and reign. And he wants to use me to do it. He wants me to do it in my street. He wants to do it when I come into the cricket ground. It changes my perspective on what I look. I'm going to 
rush ahead of myself, so I need to steal myself back before we get to that bit. But you see, we here need to live with a different perspective of how we live our lives. See, this rule and reign of Jesus is phenomenal. Let's remind ourselves just briefly for a moment what this rule and reign looks like. It's about freedom. It's about love. It's about peace, forgiveness, justice, power, righteousness, beauty, mercy, unity. See, my concern is sometimes when you say, oh yeah, Jesus is a king and he's got a kingdom and it's a, he rules and reigns within it. But we forget that it's, his rule and reign isn't like an earthly king who's seeking to dominate. It isn't like a kingdom that what did have power in the past, but we kind of see it as just a tourist attraction now. Now his kingdom has real substance has a substance that each and every one of us who've centered our lives around Jesus are living in the wonder and awe of. That we get to live, understanding that we've not been, that Jesus as a king isn't seeking to dominate us, but liberate us. We get to live understanding we are loved more than we could dare to believe. Know his peace and wholeness, know forgiveness, justice, power, righteousness, beauty, mercy, unity. We get to understand this isn't just something we get to know inwardly, but it's also something we, we get to live out of. In order that the environments around us would be characterized by this. Why? Because that's where it's all heading. Which is why I always bang on about Revelation 21, 22. Because when you get there, you suddenly realize this is what it looks like when the king fills the universe with his presence, with his rule and reign. And you discover all of these attributes in there. So what about then the nature of the gift, the grace that he's wanting to show each of us. Because if Jesus' goal here is to say, right, I'm now about filling the universe with my rule and reign. How I'm going to fill it is by each and every one of you who are part of my body, uniquely, in different measures, being given grace by me to reveal it. What's in the nature of that, of that gift to us in who we are and how we live? Well, I'd say there's two things, two aspects of it. You see in verse 7, he says, and 12, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Verse 12, for works of service. What's the nature of what Jesus gives us? Firstly, it's all about, the nature of it is about service. It's about servanthood. Now, at this point in time, we can hear that in a wrong way. We could hear it and think, oh yeah, it's that we now need to do our duty. And so it calls into us this sense of uh, dutiful um, working out of revealing Jesus' rule and reign. Or we can think, oh yeah, servant, that's kind of a lowly position. Therefore, we start to hear it as a devalued position. Think, oh yeah, who am I? I'm just a servant. Both of those are totally not what Jesus wants. Rather, what we see is we get to be able to catch hold of mirror the model that Jesus has revealed. See, Jesus came, and in that Philippians 2 passage we see again, is that he came and humbled himself as what? As a servant. Not because he was devalued, not because it was his duty, but it was because of the fact that he understood who he was, he could then operate to serve everyone else. See, what we discover is, it was actually his servant-heartedness came out of the understanding of the value that he lived with. This is one who'd eternally known he was loved. This is one who the father couldn't help by every so often just breaking in 
to Jesus' life on earth and just proclaiming to everyone, oh, just remember, this is my son whom I am well pleased. This is my son whom I love. This is Jesus. Jesus just lived understanding that he was eternally loved. Eternally loved by the Father. Knowing that love through the Spirit. And in order that he knew from that work, from that place of understanding how valued he was in love, it meant that he said, actually, I've just come to serve. I've not come to be served. I've not come to, be ga- to gain. I've come to give. And the same way for us. That our this, the nature of what Jesus wants to do in through us comes from the place of understanding that we are unconditionally loved. That we're more loved than we could ever dare to believe. That we are like, as Sarah shared in her story, that we are now in Jesus. Just as our skeleton is in us, Jesus is in, is in us in that way. And just as the Father loves Jesus, he loves us. So that just as Jesus walked around the planet, knowing the vocal moments, but knowing in himself... The Father just calling out, this is the one I love. The Father wants us to live, walk around, understanding that he's calling out over us. This is the one I love. Oh, Adrian, I really love him. Fill in your name. I'm not going to run every room. Do we live walking that way? As we wake up, thinking the Father's calling over us? Oh, you're the one I really love. The thing is, he has no favorites apart from everyone. I think that's phenomenal. We're all in Jesus. Jesus was always his favorite. As the Father was his favorite, as the Spirit was both their favorites, this Trinity that had always been each other's favorites. And they say, oh, now come and be in us because you're our favorites now, every single one of you. But because we're so frail, we always think, oh, no, I bet the Father loves them more than me. No, no, he loves all of us equally. And therefore, we get to live out of that place of knowing how loved we are in order that we're never looking for that. In order that we understand we are so valued, it allows us then to know that we then get to serve everyone. Not looking to gain in this earth, but rather seeking to give. That's the first nature is servant. Second nature of this gift is grace. Grace is just this phenomenal word, which just means that it's unconditional. It's unmerited. There's nothing we've done to earn this. That who we are and what we do is all because of Jesus' want to bless us. That's all it is. It's not because we deserve something. It's because it's all out of his unmerited favor towards each and every one of us. I tell you what, if we can get hold of this, it then transforms everything about who we are and how we treat others. So it means that we don't live seeking to compare or compete with other people. It means that we don't look at their lives and think, well... I can see where they're at. Actually, I'm doing a bit better than them or I'm not doing as well as them or maybe how come I'm not like that? Rather, it liberates us from competition and comparison and allows us to come to this point of celebration because what we realize is everything about who we are is because of God's grace to us. And therefore, because it's all of his grace, it means we get to enjoy it, understanding this is his gift to us just as who someone else is and what they do is God's grace gift to them. So rather than competing or comparing, I get to celebrate in them and think, man, the fact they're able to do that is amazing, just as the fact that who I am is amazing. It liberates us in how we do this. So that's a bit of the nature, but from the nature, it then allows us, understanding it's there to allow us to serve, understanding it's there in order that it's just a grace gift to us. 
allows us then to enjoy it. It allows us to enjoy who we are and what we do. That's ultimately what Jesus wants to get hold of. What he's looking to do is work out his rule and reign throughout the universe, through you and through me, by who we are and what we do. Because he's diversely made us. He's caused each of us to be different. So in who we are, it's about the fact that each of us like different things. Each of us are good at different things. Each of us see things differently. And it isn't that we're then saying, well, that, that can't possibly be God because surely that's just about how I'm wired. Well, maybe God was about how you've been wired and maybe Jesus is involving you in how he wired you in order that you'd be able to reveal more and more of his rule and reign. And so with it, you then get this moment of who you are matters. So often we discount who we are. We think, well, everyone else does this, don't they? No, they don't. That's the point. Everyone else sees things this way. No, they don't. That's the point. I was having coffee with um, Colin, who plays um, the djembe this morning. And I was having coffee with Colin on Friday. Coffee with Colin on a Friday. It's quite rhythmic, isn't it? And we're drinking and um, talking. And we're just talking about life and just what's going on. And Colin was just talking about some of the things that are going on in his life. And Colin uh, has the privilege of working in a school that, with uh, teenagers uh, with varying uh, learning difficulties or different needs. And we're just talking about how Colin is just having many, many different opportunities to help shape the opportunities they have. And as Colin and I are talking, I said, but this is amazing that you're there and you get to do this. And, he, and Colin just said, well, I just see them as teenagers who have, immense opportunity, who have immense potential, and someone needs to get hold of that potential in order to reveal the opportunities they can have. And I said, but I don't see it like that. I see them as individuals who I really love, exactly the same as everyone else, but who need help in order to fulfill their opportunity. You say, well, I don't see them any different to anyone else. I think, well, that's because of this. Because of who Colin is, it's different to who I am. And God wants to use Colin differently to who, how God wants to use me. Because he's wired Colin differently. Colin sees things differently to how I see them. The true, same would be true for me to you and you to me. That you'll see some things totally differently to me. Why? Because it's part of Jesus' grace to you. In order that you'd start to work out his rule and reign where you are. Which brings us on to what we do. See, Jesus' goal is to see his rule and reign worked out in every element, part of the universe. Which means that he then uniquely places every single one of us in different places. In order that we can work out his rule and reign there. See, it isn't by mistake you do what you do. It's actually this privilege of in doing what we do, we get to reveal the wonder of who Jesus is in his rule and reign. And so every single one of us is already involved in it. It's just whether we've got the perspective of it. Whether rather we've got to this point of just thinking, all right, I better just endure this. I better just do this. Whether it's the raising of our kids, whether it's the uh, living within our household, whether it's the job we're doing, the university course we're on, the addictions recovery program we're part of, the want to kind of look at how we use our retirement. That we can have two mindsets of one of just saying, well, I'm just, this is just what I'm having to do. 
or we think, actually, no, this is the unique place God has placed me, that Jesus is gifting me in, in order that I'd work out his rule and reign uniquely here. I tell you what, if you live with that perspective, it changes everything about what you're getting up for. With it, though, there can be this danger. Then it says, well, then let's just all separate. Let's just all go off then and go in as many different directions as possible in order that we can work out Jesus' rule and reign in everything. But that's not how Jesus wants it. He wants us to pull together as we do this. That's what I want to finish off on. So verse 11 to 12 Paul writes this, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. The point of why we keep gathering together is in order that one, we can keep revealing the wonder of how Jesus' goal is to fill everything with his rule and reign. See, if it's just us as an individual, all ever people get to see is what we're about. All we ever get to see is what we're about. But when we come together, we get to realize that actually, I know Jesus really is about filling the whole of the cosmos with his rule and reign because we realize all of the different settings that each of us are in. So when we come together, it's this great moment of deep encouragement. Not of kind of these lone wolves who just think, well, let's just sit together and not talk together. Actually, it's this moment of saying, man, what's been going on with you in your crafted purpose within the cosmos? That's quite an opener, isn't it, on a Sunday? Oh, come to think of it, there's been quite a lot this last week. Suddenly an exciting way of looking at how we're living our lives together. It's also an exciting way to look at what happens when we're scattered from when we're gathered. See, I love to think of Birmingham like a pond. Lake, if you want, but I find a pond's an easier analogy. And it's like a pond, And in the pond, you could see it, and we could come together, and maybe we're all representing different stones. And in those stones, we kind of throw them in, in one drop, just throw them, plop. And then ripples come out from where we've just thrown those collective stones all together in one spot. And if you were lucky enough to see that part of the pond, you'd have seen the plop and the ripples. What I more imagine, and what I think Jesus is looking to do, is actually say, no, I gather you in in order that I can keep sending you out. So that as we go from this place into the unique settings and places that Jesus has put us to reveal his rule and reign, we get to be these individual stones plopped into the pond. I do like that word, plop. And so we get them plop, and we find that there's these plops all over the pond. It's a kind of naughty word, isn't it? And, <laughs> and in it, as it comes, these ripples then happen. And rather than just being one ripple that if you are lucky enough to be around, you get to see it, you suddenly realize there's these ripples all going around the city. And yes, it might not be as the one big one, it won't be, it might be, be as big as the one big one, but actually the individual ones become ones that you notice. And who knows, maybe this stone that gets dropped there is near that stone that gets dropped there. And someone who's in between, they suddenly realize the ripple of that one is the same ripple as that one. And they're all about the same thing. And they suddenly realize this kingdom that these two people are revealing is the same thing. And it points to the same king, which then ultimately causes the want of Jesus to happen. Which is that individuals start to get hold of this kingdom that is so good that we each get to live in. It's one that they want to be part of. See, I have the privilege with Edgebaston of talking some of our story. And all I do is I just share the stories of how we throw the stones in the pond. 
And what happens is because they see the different ripples, it causes them to say, this is really good. And what it's caused them to do at the moment is to say, how can we get involved? Often people get involved first. And as they get involved, they then begin to see who the king is. And as they see how good the king is, they then say, I want the king. But that's in the first part, revealing. Finish off, and we are going to scoot through this, is equipping. If we go back one side, and we'll come back onto this. Is it Jesus' desire and plan isn't that we'd suddenly think, right, that's it, I'm the finished article. Rather that in what he's grace given each of us, there's a desire as we come together to be equipped in order that we'd be everything we're meant to be within the worlds that we're in. It isn't that we're trying to figure it out ourselves and think, no, yeah, we come together, celebrating stories, go off and try and figure it out again. No, it's that actually in us coming together, it does us good in being inspired and encouraged to be all that we're meant to be. And so what Paul does is he says, actually, there's these five roles that, that Jesus has given as gifts that allow us to be equipped in everything we're meant to do in revealing his rule and reign. These five roles that I'm not going to spend lots of time on today because that's not the point of what I wanted to do today, but I want to make mention of and then how it works itself out in each of us in equipping one another. Five roles of apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. I'm going to briefly, quickly describe these and then work them out how they happen throughout time. So first one, apostle, which is all about fathering, breaking new ground, laying foundation, raising up leaders. The prophet, which is about being the mouthpiece of God, bringing revelation, bringing insight. The evangelist, which is about revealing and, uh, who Jesus is and calls for response to him, provoking others to do the same. The pastor, who's like the shepherd, not the shepherd, yeah, shepherd, the carer and protector, provides environments for people to flourish in. The teacher, who instructs to bring understanding and change. And Jesus gives these roles in order what they'd equip each of us to be all we're meant to be. Not that they'd be the top dog positions. Because we're so human sometimes, we can think, all right, what are the ones we've really got to go for? I know. And you find people say, oh yeah, it's got to be apostle, surely, you know. That's the one you've got to aim for. No, no, that's not the point of this passage. The point of the passage is God's given grace, Jesus has given grace to every single one of us to reveal his rule and reign throughout the cosmos. That's the whole point. These roles then help us do that which is the point and what we find through scripture is these roles are then figured out in different measures so if we go to the next one this is the best way i can use to quickly describe it is at the center what we find is jesus reveals every single one jesus the ultimate apostle prophet evangelist teacher and pastor explore the gospels and just see how he is Everything we are is from him. Then from that, you then find the New Testament then happens and you find the, these roles revealed through the New Testament in order that we get everything we're meant to. But from that, the danger is then we think, well, that's it then, isn't it? Those roles are fulfilled. Well, no, it says that Jesus gives these in different measures. And what we find is actually it still is that Jesus is giving these roles within measures. Not like who Jesus is, not like who, how it was worked out in the New Testament, but it's still there in order that we would be equipped in who, in who we are. And you see it worked out, so you find that there's individuals gifted in these roles amongst churches. The reason why we're part of a family of churches called Catalyst is because there's individuals gifted in these roles that do us good to equip us to be all we're meant to be in 
revealing God's rule and reign in our lives. The reason why we as a church encourage everyone to go to the Catalyst Festival isn't because it's fun, though it is. It's also that we get hold of something that causes us to be more of who we're meant to be in the settings where we are. It gives us exposure to people. It's why we get people in. It's why we recommend books to read. It's because we think there's something here to get hold of that's going to do us good in equipping us to be all we're meant to be. But it's not only amongst church, it's also within the church. We'll find that within Oasis, there are individuals who have particular measures of each of these gift things that we want to kind of help and promote that will do each of us good. Not to say, oh, they're top of the tree. No, actually, if anything, they're bottom of the tree. They're the ones that are just helping service all the rest of us. And all that we can be, all that we can be. The danger is we always think this is something that we're absorbing. Actually, it's something that all of us are then part of. See, I'd say there's a measure of these giftings in every single one of us that's to be used to equip all of us to be all that we're meant to be wherever we're placed. And in it, in doing that, in equipping one another, as I say, we need to live with three E's. The first E is encouragement. We need to be those who are continuously seeking to build up, push forward, and put courage in one another to be all we're meant to be wherever we've been uniquely placed. The second E is we need to just bring examples that we need to just take our responsibility and live out who we are in order that we promote and provoke others to be who they are. That we be the example in order that we can serve others to release them to be who they can be. I think most of my time is spent coming alongside people and doing these two E's. That's all I do. And the amazing thing is I'm actually paid to do it. Don't tell anyone. I really am. And all I do is I genuinely just spend time with people, get alongside them and say, you're amazing. What you do is phenomenal in bringing who Jesus is to where you are. I couldn't do that. And they go, really? I say, you're amazing. And I say, what can I do to serve you, do this, serve you so you can do that better? That's all I do. What a privilege. And then lastly, exposing. And I just put this one there because I thought you'd remember it. This isn't exposing someone in a negative way. It isn't kind of pointing stuff out, wronging someone. It isn't exposing ourselves in a wrong way. Because that would obviously be highly inappropriate. Rather, what I'm talking about is this. There can be a danger in the kind of church we are that we think the only revelation is going to come from here, the front. Whereas actually the reality is, every single one of us is invited to understand more of who Jesus is. And how we do that is reading the word of God. And as we read it, the spirit comes and brings things alive to us. And as he brings things alive to us, it isn't that we become Gollum. And we kind of, from Lord of the Rings, and we kind of gather it into ourselves and go, oh, this is so precious, my precious, my precious. And we go around and say, I've got something so precious. I've got to tell you, I've got it's precious. The point is that we get it and share it with everyone else. And some of us are sitting on such revelation And we discount it because we think everyone knows this. Or we discount it because we think, who am I? And yet maybe we should spend more time not questioning who we are because we realize that actually who we are is we're loved more than we could dare to believe. And what we get to do is share one another, expose these realities we get hold of because it will do us good. I wonder what our coffee moments would be like in between our two meetings, if we all arrive thinking, what are the stories I can share? How can I encourage others today? How am I going to expose and reveal this truth I've got? Man, those kind of conversations are going to be exciting, aren't they? I think we'd kind of have a problem of ever starting meetings. Because everyone would be like, hold on. 
I don't want to do that. Yeah, I'm just listening to this. I guess I'm just appealing to us and saying, we need to have a different perspective. Let's allow God to lift up our heads, to get our attention, to give us a different perspective on how we live our everyday life. That you and I are crafted for cosmic purpose. And that fundamentally changes everything about how we live every day in every moment. It transforms the hardest times and the best times. And what I love about it is it's about every single one of us. The question is, are we going to live with that perspective? And that's like a yes or no. And as my plea is that you do, understand that we get then together to celebrate how we're doing this, but also to encourage be examples, and expose the revelations we get along the way. And I wonder what it might look like as we live this way. And I wonder what it might look like in the settings you've uniquely been placed, as well as the ones I have, of as we get to see Jesus' rule that is worth being worked out and see how it transforms it and how it transforms lives. So can I pray for us and then we're done. Jesus, I thank you that when you call us, It's not to a small thing. It's not just to survive this world until you return. It's all in that we would have life and life in its full. And I thank you, your desire for us in that is that we'd be those that partner in what you're about, which is now forever filling this universe with your rule and reign. And I thank you that you don't do that despite us. You do it with us and through us. And I pray for each of us that we'd leave today understanding more of what that means for us. Ask this for your glory, Jesus. Amen.